Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Natalie Honan, Senior Associate AD for Student Athlete Services and Performance for Clemson University Athletics. This is part of the UF Sports Management Series, uh, Sports Business Insights from Gator Nation. Natalie's a double Gator, as I would like to say. Uh, so excited to talk to her about her experiences, kind of how she got her start, her journey, and ultimately, uh, where she is now overseeing sports psychology, strength, nutrition, mental health. We'll get into all that. But Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. I'm, I'm excited to be doing this. So when you first thought, okay, I'm going to go work in sports. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Gainesville, you know, sports psychology, strength, nutrition. That sounds, that sounds like the career, right? Yeah, so um, I, I, you know, it's funny in reflection, I have no idea how, how I ended up here with some of these responsibilities, but obviously we could, we could talk through that of kind of my journey because, um, you know, my background when I was at Florida, um, didn't really know, right, college athletics, you get, you get to college and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, um, started volunteering in the athletic department at Florida UAA, uh, University Athletic Association, and and just started learning, right? And I, my, my career started in event management. So um, I worked in operations and facilities um, under Chip uh, Howard at Florida, who is still there, um, and obviously worked um, closely with Greg McGarity and Jeremy Foley as well, and uh, started working in events. So uh, football operations was kind of my, my jam, right? Like that was most of my responsibilities. Uh, football game, uh, travel, so did a lot of the uh, work for when the football team was traveling from a charter bus, hotel perspective. Um, yeah, football game days kind of handled, you know, a lot of the security aspects, a lot of the medical, you know, making sure those first aid stations are set, sideline security, et cetera, credentials. So that's kind of where I started. Um, and then kind of just wanted to learn and put my head down and just grind. Um, so that's kind of where I started. And now I'm definitely more on the student athlete support side. Um, and I feel like just my experiences through the way got me to this place I am now. And one of your stops before Clemson, you were at Yale, which when you're thinking about going to work in college athletics, that may not be your first thought. Uh, yeah. of going to an Ivy League school, but it had to have been one of the best experiences because for those who are listening who don't know, Ivy League schools have most of the time the most sports uh, out of any university. How many How many did Yale? I know Harvard's, I think, got the most, but how many did Yale have? So Yale, we had 35. 35. Yeah, 35. and so most, and most schools, right? What does Clemson have? Yeah, so Clemson's at 19, and uh, I think Florida's at 21, 22, maybe 21, I think. Yeah. So just your exposure, right, to so many different operations and different sports, different coaches, et cetera, had to have been a good experience for kind of a launching pad for you. Yeah, absolutely. So we could talk a little bit about that. So, you know, obviously we talked about be, me being a double gator. I, I love Florida um, through and through, um, still bleed orange and blue um, in many different aspects. But, you know, obviously Clemson now is kind of, you know, what, what I definitely <laughs> – you still got um, the orange. Yeah, I definitely still have the orange, but obviously I still want Florida to do well. And I have a lot of people that I respect um, are still there. So obviously I have a lot of love for that space. So obviously it was at Florida, um, was there from 99 to 2008. So I spent a good nine years in Gainesville, um, started working in the athletic department in 2002, 
um, full time. Um, so I kind of went a different route. I started as an administrative assistant position. But anyway, kind of worked through events, kind of working with uh, Chip, Jeremy, Greg, um, and some other colleagues. And I got to a point I was single, right? Like I loved what I did. I loved Florida. I could have been there forever, um, but I kind of wanted to do more. And I, I thought to myself, you know, at some point, changing, moving is going to get more difficult, right? Like if everything personally, at some point, if I find a partner in life and all those things, it gets a lot harder. But I was 26 single, right? I loved what I did. And I saw this opportunity at Yale and it was exactly that. It was this idea of being able to go to a place where there's not a huge staff. So I knew I was going to have to do a lot of work and grind. Um, but it was an opportunity to get my hands in a lot of different areas. So I took a position as an assistant athletic director overseeing varsity sport administration. So what that really means is I still had event management. So oversaw the event management for all those team, all those programs, um, but then got really, and then travel, which I was already doing at Florida, but then obviously um, across the whole department, but then really got involved with program budgets, right? Like understanding policies and development. Um, and when you're working at a place where there's not a lot of staff members, you're doing everything, right? You're doing, you're doing the, the, the intern stuff to, hey, I'm establishing schedules, right? I'm doing future scheduling planning for the football program. Um, so for me, I saw it as an opportunity just to, to learn and, and really get my hands dirty and really figure out if this is what I want to do. Um, so, that, so that was probably, you know, in retrospect, probably in the moment, it was kind of like, wow, you're, why are you leaving Florida for Yale? Um, but in reflection, it was probably the best thing I could have done for my career. Um, because obviously I still had my experiences at Florida, but now I was able to say, hey, this is what I'm able to accomplish um, at a young age. And, and I think that helped um, me become much, you know, even a more viable candidate for future positions. Yeah. And as you think about Yale, uh, obviously Northeast, a little colder than, uh, than Gainesville, and then back down to Clemson where it's a little bit warmer. So did that play a factor in the decision? Well, so, so it's funny because I remember, I still remember the first time it snowed in New Haven, Connecticut. And I was, I was like the, the weird person that was walking down the street, like so excited there was snow falling because I'm, <laughs> I'm from Fort Lauderdale, born and raised, right? So like snow is nothing. Um, I think moving up there for me, it was, I knew it was a stop, right? Like I knew it was going to be, I, I wanted to get back to, you know, a large state college. I mean, that's, that's, Florida for me was such an amazing experience from even just being a student. Um, but I also saw the, you know, college athletics was also something that I love so passionately. So I knew at some point I was probably going to come back south, um, get closer to family. So for me, going up there, living, um, meeting a lot of great people. I met my husband up there. Um, he is a Connecticut born and raised individual. Um, we always talk about our second date. I told him, hey, are, do you want to stay in Connecticut your whole life? And he said, no, I'm willing to move anywhere. I said, okay, then we could proceed in this. Uh, this <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think the, the idea was always to just gain experience, um, learn, and then when the right opportunity presented itself, um, to take that opportunity. Um, and I was fortunate. My The individual that hired me at Yale is Ryan Bamford, and Ryan now is the AD at UMass. And uh, he was hired by Dan Radakovich at Georgia Tech a few years prior. So when Dan was um, had an opening and was doing, you know, obviously checking out, reaching out to individuals, um, Ryan obviously threw my name into the hat and said, you know, this is someone you got to really look at. So, so obviously, again, relationships you make along the way are really important um, because that helps open some doors for the future.
Yeah, no, absolutely. And as you think about kind of how, you, how your role has evolved at Clemson, yeah. right? You know, you've gotten to the point where um, we're talking about COVID and, and you know, leading, leading the task force from a testing and policy perspective and whatnot. And um, you've got doctors in the room and we were talking about this. Being a facilitator, I think, is such an important skill. Uh, and knowing just the operations and how to get, you know, the smart people in the room, right, to uh, help help make decisions. Talk a little bit about that experience um, for you thus far and just what that what some of the lessons learned have been so far. Yeah, so I think so, so one thing that I've really seen during COVID and, you know, right, you're always, you know, I'm someone that's very reflective, like I'm someone that's very self-aware and I you know, I, I know kind of where my strengths are. I know where some of the weaknesses are. You know, one thing that I've always prided myself is to be really transparent and, and really just learning from the people around me, right? Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not always going to be the smartest person in the room. Most of the time, I'm never that person. Um, but really trying to read people and really build relationships and um, learning from the people. And, you know, one thing that I have learned that's one of my strengths is that I'm able to look at a situation or an issue and kind of put a plan for it, right? The idea of, okay, COVID, like how are we, you know, we're working through a time when we're getting new information day in and day out. And what I have found is that a lot of our coaches or student athletes or administrators, even university officials, right? Like the idea is that you're not gonna have the right answer right now, but the ability to be able to adjust and the ability to be able to, you know, say, you know, hey, we have a plan, this is what we're gonna do, but this is what we learned, we're gonna adjust again and that's okay. Um, and being able to provide that information when needed, but also being really, um, really quick to say, you know what, we don't have the answers right now, and how do we work through that? So for me, I've seen that, you know, some of my strengths is like that relationship development, that facilitating, being able to say, okay, what's our goal? And then how are we going to get there? And then be okay with making changes and adjusting and making mistakes, but obviously learning from, from everything that you do. So I think that has been something that's been really clear during this time. Um, and I think that is a lot of the reasons why I've taken on some of the responsibilities that I have, right? Like um, strength and conditioning, like I, I tell my strength and conditioning coach, right? I'm never going to question what you guys are doing in the weight room, right? All I want to make sure is that we're facilitating and we're providing the support we need for our programs, right? Sports medicine, I don't have a medical background whatsoever, but I just want to make sure that our student athletes are getting the care they need, right? So they're, they have the resources and the connections, right? That's what my role is, um, you know, and then just really looking at, you know, from a sports psychology, mental health perspective, right? This is, you know, it's, it's an area that's really grown in the last four to five years, and again, just making sure that we have the support and that we're making sure that that is a priority. Um, so being able to talk to our coaches and say, listen, everything that you guys are doing within your program is fantastic, but we want to make sure that you're, you know, you've got the support from a mental health perspective. You know, how are we caring for our students and looking at the holistic, you know, looking at the whole person and making sure they're being developed, you know, you know, physically, mentally, you know, and, and making sure that we have the resources there to do that. So, so that's kind of been a lot of my focus the last couple of years, um, which has been a great learning experience, right? Because I'm learning as we go. Yeah, and it's ever evolving. I mean, it's changing. I, I can remember my time. Uh, I don't want to date myself. But you know, back to when I was a student athlete, like mental health, wellness, like that wasn't even a phrase or a topic, really, that was talked about a ton, you know, and, and it's, it's quickly picked up and it's picking up steam, right? And picking up support. And, um, you know, back in, in grad school, when I co-authored the book on student athlete success and transition, 
back in 2018, like that still wasn't even talked about that much, right? And so it's it's continuing to pick that those things up and continue to move them forward. As you think about the the work in which, you know, you're working with uh, the student athlete experience, right? And what the student athlete experience represents, how has it evolved and how have you seen adaptations and um, just more resources put towards those mental health and, and nutrition and psychology and all of those sorts of areas? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, the big thing, right? So not too long ago is all about, hey, are you performing on the field, right? Like, are you winning? Or are you losing? Um, that's where a lot of, I think, the time was spent, even even from your countable hours, right? The, the, the requirements for student athletes were so based on the weight room, the field. And I think as we're learning is that for students to really perform at their best, <clears throat> it's not all about having a hard practice, right? A lot of that development is really important, but it's also making sure that all other aspects of their lives are, are in working order, right? Or that they're, they're getting the support they need. So what I have seen at Clemson, and we've been really fortunate, is that we've been able to put a lot more dollars specific to the student athlete resources and how they're being supported in all these other spaces. So it's a lot easier to add a position where we know that day in and day out, that person is going to be supporting the student athlete and, and their well-being. And um, I think the, the, the big thing is just making sure that all those resources are really interconnected and they're really collaborating and they're really talking and that there aren't silos because, you know, you, you, could, you could have these amazing silos that are working and student athletes are interacting with them. But if they're not working together, it's really not going to do what, what you anticipate, what it can do for student athletes' experience. So, so that's been a lot of the focus too. But, you know, most of the additions that we have been doing has really been to that student athlete services and experience piece, because um, we feel that, and again, we have these four years, but we also want to prepare them for life, right? So there has been a lot of resources also thrown at student athlete development, um, you know, leadership academies, and in many of those aspects, career services. Because again, we want to make sure that when they leave Clemson, um, they're prepared for whatever they're going to do, right? Off the field, jobs, um, and some that get to obviously still play their sport professionally. Sure. And as you think about, you know, you mentioned kind of having those silos work together, right? You know, if you're in the strength and conditioning world and you don't know what your student athletes are eating, right? that can drastically affect the training aspect and the benefits and everything that you're working really hard at. And, you know, same thing on the psychology and we all know that new, well, we, we don't all know, but uh, uh, newsflash site, you know, the, the nutrition aspect of things affects your mental being and your physical being, right? So how those kind of um, intertwine, how have you seen from a staff perspective, right? Those build up and just, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, that's actually a really interesting area. Like I would want to get into that area. Um, how would I go about, you know, the strength, strength side of things, the nutrition side of things, sports psychology, mental health. Are you seeing a lot of professionals that come from other areas of the industry as opposed to coming through college athletics? Yeah. So we, I mean, we've had a few, but not really in the student services side. I feel the majority of people that we, you know, mental health, sports psychology, those individuals, um, they sometimes have a little bit of experience outside of it, but a lot of them are starting to get really specific to athletics. Um, we haven't really had a whole lot of people that we've hired that don't have college athletics experience per se, right? So 
Um, you know, I still think it's really, you know, individuals that want to get into college athletics, but then they find their passion within strength conditioning, within nutrition, um, within sports psych, et cetera. So we haven't, I, I know when we have had openings, we always entertain the idea of, hey, is there someone outside of college athletics that might be the right fit, right? Because I think that's really important. And I think that that brings different ideas to the table, right? I think you could be more innovative if you've experienced something outside, right? Because we like to say that we've got it all figured out in college athletics, but we don't. Um, and there's a lot of people that are excelling outside of this, obviously this industry that could bring something to the table. So um, unfortunately I couldn't say that we have a lot outside. A lot of people have been individuals that obviously have worked their way up in college athletics or their experience involved within, within it. Yeah, and as you think about how the student athlete development piece is evolving, we had Misty Brown on, on this series uh, from the SEC and, and kind of her role from an engagement standpoint at the conference level. Where do you see kind of the student athlete services area evolving to over the next few years as these areas continue to progress and become more important? Yeah, so I think for us, you know, one of the next steps that we're trying to do is really create a high performance model. So, you know, it's funny because most of our, like we talked about, most of the people, our practitioners are within, they've been college athletic experiences, but a lot of our, those areas are really looking at some professional leagues and looking at, you know, like, um, you know, the Premier League, et cetera, from a soccer perspective and kind of understanding how those performance areas are really working um, together, right? So, so it's a little bit different. I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where, um, right, if you talk to strength, conditioning, nutrition, um, mental health, sports psychology, they would love to be able to get to one person per sport, right? Like that, hey, strength, conditioning coach, I'm only working with this program. And that's just not never going to happen. Um, but I think the idea is really trying to figure out, you know, how do we start you know, working with data, like we have done a lot from the sports science perspective, right? But like, how do we take that to the next level and really getting, hey, let's look at our injury rates, right? What is going on of why our students are getting injured? And, you know, how do we make sure that we try to prevent it? So I think that's kind of the next piece which, with which we're kind of working on right now. It's not something that's really that far off. But I think in college athletics, really trying to take that to the next level, um, really trying to become a high performance model um, and trying to create that within our field. Yeah, the data, the data piece is certainly interesting. We, we know that exists at the professional level across, you know, a lot of the different sports, but uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that can evolve. Um, let's switch past real quick to softball because, um, you know, you had a, a big hand in starting a softball program from scratch and not everyone can say that they did that. Mm -hmm. uh, and just the experience of doing that and then COVID stopping the first season in the middle, right? Like that, you can't write a story mm -hmm. uh, similar to that again, probably. Um, talk us through just the process. I mean, did it take one year, five years in order to get this thing approved? How did that work? Yeah, so um, the interesting part is my oldest daughter is kind of, I feel like the timeline for me. Um, so I was pregnant with Maddie and we started to have some internal conversations about wanting to add a sport. And, you know, for us, Clemson didn't have softball. And if you really like, I think that shocks, right? Obviously we knew it because we were at Clemson, but I think if you look at the ACC, look at the SEC, you know, Clemson not having softball, that just didn't make sense, right? We had, a, we, had an, we have an amazing baseball program and, and, you know, what that looked like, what, you know, and just didn't understand, right? So a lot of us administrators that got to Clemson, we've been here, a lot of us have been here in the last seven to eight years. So 
it was kind of like, why not? Why not softball? So um, we made the decision that we were going to add it, but we wanted to do it the right way. So we wanted to make sure we had all the resources in place. So we started talking about it in 2016. We announced it in March of 2017. Um, Maddie was two months old. And then we hired uh, John Rittman in November of 17. Um, so basically we wanted to provide, we wanted to hire someone just before um, that signing period for that first, for what we would consider our first redshirt year. Um, we needed to make sure, you know, one of the things is people in the industry, we had announced it and they're like, okay, when are you gonna hire someone? Um, but one of the things we're waiting for was just making sure we got all the state approvals for the facility because if obviously if that was going to be backed up we weren't going to hire a coach until then so 2017 we hired john um we signed five student athletes um started our first redshirt season in 2018-19 and then um and we started building in 19 i believe it was um no uh, december of night of 18. okay so the facility, we started building it, um, and then 1920 was our first competitive year, um, and our facility is amazing. Like we were able, our coach was from the onset was part of the process, so we were able to build this facility to what was needed. So development spaces were his were his priority to be able to teach the game right, and and for him, he was late in the recruiting process, right? Because in softball until recently, kids were committing when they were seventh and eighth graders. Right. So we felt like we we're going to be well, you know, like we're sitting there and he's starting to recruit kids that are in their senior year, which at that point, either they're decommitting because of a coach change or, hey, they're they their talent, like they're just developing. Right. So he wanted to make sure he had space to develop talent. And then obviously just being able to recruit Clemson with everything that was going on with all the other sports was obviously an advantage. Um, so anyway, we got this team together. And I remember um, John, after their first practice with, uh, we had 18 members of the team. He said, well, Natalie, I don't know if defensively we're going to be great, but I know we're going to be able to hit the ball. I said, okay, great. Like, we'll see. Like, and I think our expectations were, we kept talking about it. We just want to be competitive, right? So we go into the year, uh, first season, 2020, um, February. We had a couple of tournaments. We played away for the first weekend and we won two games, two of five, I believe. Um, next weekend, we had another away tournament and it was not good. Um, you know, again, just struggling. And then we hosted, uh, the big 10 ACC challenge and we went undefeated. Um, and our, our bats came alive and it was just like, all of a sudden you have this stadium that everybody's excited about. We were selling out every game, which is just unbelievable. Wow. So we were, um, we ended up fifth in the country in softball attendance which is for a brand new program. I mean, and we had a That's lot of- incredible. Yeah, and we were able, and, and John was able to put together a roster that just made sense, right? Some transfers that they knew really well. Um, and then it's developed some talent, some freshmen that we were, he, they were just able to work with and, and brought a lot to the table. Um, so we were doing great. We had won like 14 games in a row. We had um, won our first two ACC series. Um, you know, there's a lot of buzz around the Clemson program, and then all of a sudden we have to call John and tell him, Coach Rittman, that they can't go to Georgia Tech this weekend. And then the next day it was like, and your season's done. And it was the most, I think that was the hardest part because there was so much work that put into this program and they were doing so well. Um, I think they were exceeding all expectations. And it was like, oh yeah, okay, you came here, it was nothing, and now we're taking it away from you, um, and we have this empty facility. But 
Um, the good thing is they're practicing now um, and you know they're doing well and we're just hoping that 2021 just is a continuation of what's going on in 2020. Yeah, no, that's great. It's exciting. I mean, it's in in a world where sports are having to be cut, just the ability to to um, withstand that, you know, hopefully and, and be able to continue that is will, will be pretty neat. You know, as, as you think about the the experience of building a program, right? Mm -hmm. And from scratch and, and having this idea of what does it need to look like, right? How do we, you mentioned compete. You, it's not necessarily a professional team where you've got this expansion draft and you're taking players from everywhere else, right? Um, you know, you actually get to build this culture uh, mm -hmm. and there's a culture that you can build over four, five, six years, right? In, in, in a sense, um, how is the culture piece approached and, you know, were, were there other coaches that then, help John as he as he got there kind of help with the Clemson culture or softball you know they kind of have their own how does that work yeah so you know I you know I, I will say this uh I, I say this often I mean coach John Rittman is probably one of the best in, in the softball industry right he, he's an amazing coach um has great pedigree um and and he knows what he's doing right so like he knew at the end of the day you know it hit he's not all about wins and losses and he knew where the importance was to build some sort of foundation right and be really really um intentional about what his values are for this for, for the program right and and he was never going to sacrifice those values for success right like the idea was hey this is this is what our foundation is and i need to find student athletes that are going to that are going to fulfill that and one of the things that he talks a lot about is that it's it's coach fed, player led, right? So being able to really tell your student athletes, like, hey, this is your program. We're here to help provide kind of like the foundation and we're gonna provide some guidelines, but we really want you all to take the lead. And I think when he, when he was looking at, you know, he had a young roster, right? We had, I think we have this year, we're gonna have like 18, 19 freshmen. They're still considered freshmen. Um, and then you have some upperclassmen, but being really strategic about the, the, the upperclassmen you bring in, you know, kids that aren't all about themselves, right? The ones that want to come in to build something and being able to get that leadership in and then being able to have them help lead the freshmen and kind of say, hey, this is how it works and this is how we're going to be. And this is, this is what our priorities are. Um, so a lot of it came from him, right? But, but he was able, he's, he's someone that, again, is a great, he, he he's he's willing to ask questions he's willing to reach out to other coaches you know he's going to have conversations with coach sweeney he's going to reach out to monty lee um and he was someone that was just willing to learn about clemson and making sure that what he wanted to do within this program also met what clemson provides right the last thing you want to do is build a program that doesn't fit clemson right so he was able to kind of bring that in um but then also bring his insights and i i think he just did a, a great job in just building that culture and and doing it the right way no those are some great insights because you know you hear about you know coach sweeney and the, and the culture that he's built and just the different um programs around the country right a lot of it's built on the the culture um yes it's the players and yes it's the coaches and the staff and administrators and so on but the culture if, if that doesn't exist it's really hard to go out and succeed right um you know uh, we, we've talked a little bit about your journey, um, some of the things that you've been able to accomplish. Uh, we have to wrap up this episode with some rapid fire. So hopefully you're ready. Uh, oh, 
you know, as you think about the, all the different sports that you've been a part of, uh, what's the one sport that you got to learn about that you never played or, you know, you never knew anyone playing growing up or anything like that? that you're like, wow, that's, that's an interesting sport. Lacrosse, men's lacrosse, for sure. Um, and it's, it's interesting because men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse are so different. As crazy right. as that seems. So um, I think that was probably, um, I, I, that was a really cool sport to learn and just kind of see that process. And that process for me, uh, Coach Andy Shea um, over at Yale, he's still there, um, and he won a national championship two years ago. It's been fun, it, like that development too, because I was there kind of when they started, like, you know, I think my first year was a year, they were okay, and then I kind of saw him take it off, right, and and I was with them the year that they were, they lost in the quarterfinals to Maryland, um, they were up uh, 12, they were up, and then they lost in the, in the fourth quarter, and it, it was a tough loss, but I remember seeing that program and then I remember texting him after the national championship and I was just like Andy like congratulations and he goes don't he goes I hope you know that I know you were a big part of this and I was just like that like made me start crying because I was like I mean I was just an administrator and this was like three <laughs> years ago like but um but I think lacrosse because I he, I think he's again one of the best coaches in, in in the lacrosse industry and and learning from him and seeing how they develop talent and how the game is played and I don't know. I, I'm a football um, fan. Love it. That's what I kind of grew up with. And, you know, there's a lot of contact and a lot of um, action and lacrosse. So I, I, that's probably the sport that I enjoyed learning about the most. No, that's cool. Uh, as you think about football and, and the operational aspect, you think about to when you, you know, first started, what was, what was the one aspect of operations that you were super surprised about? And you're just like, wow, I never knew this about the operational aspect of a game? Um, so I think credentialing, that process in itself, that is a process. Like, and now it's even, obviously I'm out of the weeds because back then, you know, you didn't have pictures on, on credentials. Right. You didn't have like, you know, people hadn't really figured out how to fabricate, refabricate credentials or make copies. Um, so I think that that was probably the most surprising piece. Um, and then just how that developed. Um, and then just kind of understanding the timeline and really trying, you know, really understanding that every game, like things are planned to the second, right, from start to finish. And the fact that most schools hit it on the head almost every time, right? So like you could look at a timeline and you could see everything kind of just functioning. Oh, yep, it's it's 5.06 on the clock and this is what happens. Um, so I think it's just just understanding that, I think people don't understand how much work goes into running a football game um, from logistics and, and, you know, and, and trying to get teams to the field at the appropriate time, right? Like, and, and scheduling when gates are opening and when gates are closing and, and just all the behind the scenes and cleanup and, you know, dealing with issues during the game. So, um, I don't know. I think I think it's just just the idea that it is a monster. Like every game, it's a monster to run. Um, but people do it so darn well that you don't even notice it. You just think it's kind of like you you know open a facility and it happens. You know, it's not it's not clockwork, but there's a it's lot of moving darn, parts. It gets pretty darn close to clockwork, though. <laughs> if you got a great staff, it's it's pretty close to it. Yeah. All right. As you think about um, you know the the psychology, the strength, the nutrition those areas in which you, you help oversee, um, what's, what's one area that you have learned something incredibly interesting 
uh, that you never knew going into it? I think for me, the thing that, and again, I think we all, we all know this, so this might not be as, um, as, you know, as surprising, but the thing that I have realized is when someone's struggling, they're usually struggling in most aspects. Like it is, it, I don't know if this is a, this is an unfortunate thing, right? But if, if something crosses my desk about a student of concern, right? If I were to talk to every aspect of that student's um, day, it's gonna be a consistent message, almost always. Like they're struggling academically, right? They're, they're not putting the effort in the weight room, you know, and they're not eating right, right? I find out that their behavior, right? Their conduct maybe outside of athletics, it hasn't been great. Um, and I, I think that just, that just proves even more how important it is for all these areas that are supporting the student athlete that they really are collaborative and they are integrated. Because if we could, if, if all the people are able to see the same thing, right, which they are, um, you're able to maybe be more proactive and support these kids and, and, and help them overcome things a lot faster um, than back in the day, if that makes sense. Um, and then I've just learned a lot about COVID. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, it's been just, Never thought you would. <laughs> no, no, it, it's been, it's been interesting just kind of seeing, you know, the patterns and just, just learning about this virus that we're still learning about, right? So every day you get new information, but um, probably have learned more about a disease than I ever thought I would ever, I, I, hey, when I was 18 or first starting this field, there's no chance I would have thought that I would learn about this. <laughs> I experienced a pandemic, um, but then sure. learn about about this contagious virus that's out there, so. Yeah, that's no, certainly uh, different times. All right, last two questions. You mentioned uh, being in a college town. What's the best part about living in a college town? So I always talk about the fact that in college athletics, you're always moving, right? You're always grinding. It is busy, it is 24 seven. It's a lifestyle, right? It's not a, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. And what I love about college towns is like when I leave my job, it's quiet most of the time. Like if you don't live in a car, if you don't live around student students, right? Like I live about 10 miles away. And when I drive, it is like, and we're in rural upstate South Carolina too, right? It's not, so you leave campus and it just gets really quiet and slow. So one of the things I love about college towns is that you have, we know that our jobs are crazy, but like there are times when it is really slow and quiet. So I love that, that like, that balance. I, I, summers, like, I miss our kids being here, but there are times where I'm like, okay, I could slow down now, right? Like, because in a college town, the summers usually get a little bit slower, a little quieter. Um, and then I feel young. I mean, you know, it's, it's nice sometimes that you, you walk around campus and people like think you're an actual student. And I'm like, no, no, I'm definitely <laughs> not. Um, so I think it keeps, it keeps me younger than I am. Um, so, so I really love that aspect as well. Hey, who, who doesn't want to be, you know, as young as possible, right? Right, to, to yeah. Extent. Um, all right, last thing, you know, as, as a parent working in, in the industry, uh, not easy, right? So what's, what's the, what was the biggest aha or, you know, the, the piece of advice that you would give to those that are listening that are, that are also parents in the industry? So I think, right, this is something that, you know, I think having a partner that really understands the craziness of your job is first and foremost. I mean, I think 
I think I hit the jackpot with a husband that just obviously loved and supported whatever I wanted to do. And again, I think most partners are like that. But I, I think for, for me, it's just, again, trying to find the balance, right? The idea of like, when you're home, you're home. When you're at work, you're at work. Um, understanding that there are going to be times that your phone's going to ring and you're going to have to deal with it, but also to remove that guilt. I mean, I think so much times, and I don't know if I'm talking also as a mom, right? Like, I don't know if it is different um, from the mom or dad perspective, but I think we need to make sure that you provide yourself grace and also make sure you know that your children are seeing your parents um, find success outside of the home, right? And, th and that is that is a great influence on your children. Um, you might not feel it because at the end of the day, you feel like you have a lot of time away from them, but they're seeing it, you know? Like I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. My three-year-old, there's things she tells me that she sees and I'm like, oh, okay. Like sh she, she appreciates the fact that, you know, she knows I have to be at work, but she's okay with it because she knows when I'm home, I'm home with her. So. I don't know. I think that's the piece is that it, it, it is hard, um, but I think you need to provide yourself grace. Um, and I think you need to do what makes you happy. And I think you need to be able to find that balance and try when you're home to be home. And when you're at work, you're at work. Now, that's a perfect wrap on, on the episode. Natalie, really appreciate the insights and advice and thoughts and perspectives today on this series with University of Florida Sport Management Program, Sport Business Insights from Gator Nation. Really appreciate it.